0: My point is this. Some years ago as a church, we realised that we had a great church. You know, God had blessed us. We had a great, uh, we uh, numbers of people gathering. We did great coffee, which was well up on most churches. I don't know how your coffee is, but I'll find out later. But (laughs) we had a great coffee. We had a great worship band. We had good groups and everything was kind of good, but it was all a little bit (laughs) grey. What I mean is, it just, you know... I just was missing something. And we began to realize it was, you know, there were lots of social clubs and groups that could do good coffee and good community and good groups and play decent music. But unless we had the power of God, we were just going to be a bit (laughs) grey. Unless we had something that made us stand out, we were just going to be a bit grey. And, and so that began us on a journey where we began to cry out to God, God, you've got to move. Like Moses began to cry out, didn't he, and said to God, unless you come with me, don't send me out. How are they going to know that we're any different unless you are with us? And we began to cry out the same thing to, to the Lord and say, God, you've got to move amongst us. We want to see your power moving amongst us. What's going on? And, and so we began to cry. And then we, we uh, uh, audaciously set a goal. And the goal was that we would see 30 miracles on the streets in five years. That was our goal. 30 miracles on the streets in five years. And when I announced the goal from the front on a Sunday, there was a sharp intake of unbelief. Because not not only had we never seen one on the streets, we'd never really seen anyone healed in church. I mean, this is like 14 or 15 years ago. We'd never seen anything really, and so people were like, and the mathematicians began to work out well, that's one every other month, and and we have never seen any, and how is this all going to work? And and uh, but I. Would, this is what we set ourselves to. And then so January kind of came and went and, and then February came and went. And because I, I have a maths background, I realised that, oh no, we're in March already and we're behind. You know, statistically, we needed one every other month and we're behind already. And then, and then somebody got one a guy got one. Literally, he plucked up the courage to pray for a lady on the train because we began arguing about, what well, does on the streets mean, you know, if it's in a shop, does that count? Or, you know, does it have to be on the pavement? You know, Christians can get very technical <laughs> when they get under pressure. Anyway, so we decided, no, no. Anyway, as long as he's outside of a church meeting, that counts. So he was on the train. He prayed for this lady. She was popping pills for a neck pain. He found out he prayed for her and she was totally and instantly healed. In fact, she got off the train and said, to to her husband who they met on the station this guy has just healed me and then he had to correct her theology and know it was Jesus but we didn't care we got one a real one and then by the end of that year we counted up and instead of 30 in 5 years we'd seen 69 people healed on the streets in one year And we realised that the Lord was doing something amongst us, that he was wanting to move us from where we were to a new place. And and we've been on this journey since then of, of we want to see it uh, this become a normal part of, of Christian life not just in the UK but all over the nations and, and from the youngest to the oldest and, and just at a Catalyst uh, Festival we have a festival every other year where we gather uh, any who you can come uh, uh, to the festival together and we gather four or five thousand people and a couple of years ago I asked Nikki who oversees part of the kids ministry I said I want you to get the kids up the front and show the adults what they can do she said well what should I do I said just blow them away with what God is doing with the kids she's like alright so she gets these kids up the front, about twenty of them. They were between six and eight years old. Um, none of them had ever brought a word of knowledge in a meeting before. So they were all kind of fresh recruits from that festival. They'd been trained over a couple of days, and they got up the front, one by one, with a microphone up the front, and saying. And they brought words like this: I, "There's a guy here. You're in a in blue zone. You're in a green tent." You're 68 years old and you've got a pain in your shoulder, in your right shoulder. Would you please stand up? And one guy stands up out of 4,000 people. And literally, I was on the stage looking, and the adults were like, open mouth. I mean, years ago, people would write a book and travel the world off the back of words and knowledge like this. And this one guy stands up, he gets healed. It was just incredible, because we believe there's no junior Holy Spirit. He wants to reach the oldest and, and the youngest. And he wants to move and to use all of God's people. And we've been encouraged both in the, in the church and on the streets to see God begin to, to move. And uh, a friend of mine was just, uh, uh, he, he was telling a story a year or so ago where he was out Praying for a a lady, and uh, she had something wrong with her, and he was with another friend. They were praying for her, but meanwhile, her boyfriend, who was there, was mocking the two of them um, who were praying. You know, because he was an atheist and he was just taking the, you know, just taking the Mick out of them. Because that's typically what happens when there's skeptics around. Um, And he was mocking them, and so uh, Steve turned to him and said, "Well, can I pray for you?" While he left his friend uh, praying for his girlfriend. So the guy said, "Well, you know, not really. No, I don't really." Anyway, Steve said a few things to him and then he went on his way a few weeks later he was in the town again and this guy comes up to him and says do you remember me and he's like oh, not really we met before he's like, yeah we met right here in the town center he said like, oh yeah he said do you remember what you said to me he said no not not really he said you said to me i was going to get hit i was going to get knocked down but get straight back up again well the day after i got hit by a bus He said, I got hit by a bus and then I got straight up the ground. In fact, the bystanders who were there said they could not believe I hadn't been killed. But I hit the deck and I jumped straight back up again. I wasn't injured at all. So he said, wow, I think God may be speaking to you. Do you want me to pray for you again? He's like, no, I do not want you to pray for me again. (laughs) But that guy's worldview was changed. His worldview was changed in that moment. And so I just want us to, to take a few moments before we're going to get a chance to pray for God to do just in, our, in this town here, but across the nation, what he wants to do. Anyone up for that? we want to seek God for his power to saturate this town. Now let's, if you've got a Bible, you turn to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to read uh, just a few verses, Mark, uh, Mark sorry, Mark chapter 2, we're going to read verse 1 through 12. And it says this, uh, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralysed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. They lowered the man through on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said to the paralysed man, "'My child, your sins are forgiven.'" But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, "'What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins.'" Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he said, why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I'll prove to you that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. The man jumped up, he grabbed his mat, he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. So just that that story and a few other scriptures, I think, will draw a picture for us of the key foundations that we need to ask God for, that we need to put in place to take steps forward in soaking our communities with the supernatural power of God. And the first is this. We've got to have an understanding that it was Jesus' intention to build supernaturally natural communities. We've got to believe the first foundation is this what Jesus intended. This is what he wanted Through who we are, what he wanted his church to look like. It's not an optional extra. It's core to who we are as communities. And, and you notice that because this starts at home. Notice that this is in Jesus' hometown. It's in a, a place that he frequently stayed. It's in his locality. It's in that place. It starts in the natural. This is not a story that starts on a crusade somewhere in front of thousands. This is a story in a very natural setting. It's a natural place. This was the normal Christian life. Obviously there were some things that Jesus did that were unique to him. No one else is going to die for the sins of the world but there were other things that he did which he said these are a model for you. And Jesus was creating an environment that his disciples were learning and looking at what he did and seeking to emulate. In fact, he said later, "The the the he who believes in me, the greater things he'll do because I'm going to the Father. And so what we've got to realise is we've got to have this internal belief that this is what Jesus wanted. We've got to shake off our natural scepticism and believe, God, You, this is not just us saying, God, please do something. You know, like trying to get the iPad out of the toddler's hands. You know, we're trying to reluctantly get it off of him. No, no, no. This is God's intention for us as his communities. That's what we've got to believe. This is naturally supernatural stuff and this is for, for all of us. And Jesus... Jesus intended this from the beginning, and 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 there's something we've got to break through on that. I mean, when when we began as a church, learning about the word of knowledge and learning about God speaking to people in the room and identifying who He wanted to move on. You know, I would give words of knowledge like, "There's someone here with a head," and no one would respond because there was so much skepticism in the room. There was so much cynicism. Surely God can't be speaking through you. But that's how it was, and there's so much of that in the church. But we've got to repent of that and move forward this is natural for Jesus. It was natural for the early church. You look at what Paul writes about his ministry. This is what he says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul links preaching the gospel of Christ to a demonstration of power. These two are meant to get, go together. 1 Corinthians 4, the kingdom of God does not consist just of talk, but with power. On and on and on, you see that this was natural stuff for or the way that the early church operated. In fact, what it says in Acts 15, all the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they started relating the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. It was natural for Jesus, it was natural for Paul, it was natural for the whole of the early church and it's so critical for us to get in that place where we're learning to share stories and and so one of the things that we do regularly in our church is we regularly share stories and and at the beginning we set out in our staff team for example we decided that for 30 minutes every week we were going to share stories of what God was doing how he was breaking out and and the person who was organizing it said well what if we haven't got many stories I was like we're just going to tell the same ones over and over again (laughs) we'll just keep going and I tell you for the first few months those 30 minutes they were awkward there was awkward silences there was long pauses we just sat there until stories came but now you literally can hardly shut people up you could you have to kind of say oh let me share next because there are so many things that God is doing and I'm not saying that to big us up I'm showing that to big God up (laughs) to so we just believed and began to believe what he's talking talking about you know that and and it becomes when we start to think like this, it can invade all of our spaces, all the different things that we do. So one of the, one of the things that we shifted was in Alpha, for example. We always have a moment, a time where we pray for the sick and we we see uh, the prophetic released, and and they're some of our most precious times. And maybe you do that on Alpha as well. Just a just one illustration. One guy um, he came there one evening and he was there had the whole Alpha group there, so mostly unbelievers, uh, sixty or seventy who didn't know Christ, and he was. There there to kind of bring some words to those to show that God was alive and he knew their hearts and and so he was praying beforehand and God said to him I picked out one guy and he said I want you to say to that guy all right mate and John was like Lord, you've got, to, you've got to give, what else? You've got to give me some more than that. And then the Lord said to him, do not say anything else, just say, all right, mate. He's like, Lord, I'm not standing up there and pointing him out and saying, God says to you, all right, mate. He said, I'm just not doing it. God said, that's all you've got to say to him, do it. So I was like, oh no. <laughs> so he gets up there, he points at this guy and says, God wants to say something to you, all right, mate. And that was it. And he said, it was just so, the whole thing was just awkward. Anyway, at the end of it, the guy comes up to him and he says, I think you just changed my life tonight. And he said, why? What happened? He said, "He said, well, I've been doing this alpha thing for a few weeks, he said, but it's all a bit, you know, hoity-toity, it's all a bit, I didn't even know. And they were talking about prayer and I was like, I don't even know how to do this stuff. And so this week I was talking, I was sort of, well, I'll try it. And I said, God, I don't even know how to talk to you. Can I just talk to you like one of my mates? And then that Tuesday, God says to him, alright mate <laughs> you see when we see things like that it, it, that's what the scriptures say isn't it that they'll hear the secrets of their hearts revealed and they'll fall on the knees and say surely God is among you surely God is among you and I'm believing that every church that's, uh, that's in this nation and across the nations has moments like that they have moments like that, and we've been that we did not we did not have a clue we did not know what we doing, but we, we were saying God we want moments like that regularly, where unbelievers come amongst us and the secrets of their hearts are revealed, and we've seen it as we've sought the Lord for it, we've seen that happen. And just another story: one one Sunday, a guy picked out a lady, and uh, he he said, "I I I I really feel the Lord speaking to you, and I, I see the story of Narnia, and I see the I'm drawn to the character of Lucy." And it was her first time there, so I was a little bit nervous. Uh, I'm drawn to the character of Lucy, and she said, "'That's my name.'" (laughs) And then he began to prophesy over her life. And she didn't sit down. She fell into her mother's arms, weeping as God encountered her, as he told her her name, no other way of knowing. There's something about this understanding that as we decide this is normal and begin to pursue it, something happens amongst us. And the reality is this. What I've noticed is this. Lots of churches say, you know what? We're open. We're open for anything God wants to do. But listen. If my wife were here tonight and she said to me, Simon, do you want a kiss? And I said, I'm open. (laughs) Who knows that if you respond, I'm open, you don't get a kiss. You may get a slap. You you get very little for being open. (laughs) What does the scripture say? Earnestly desire the greater gifts. God is not the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, openness counts for nothing. openness is, is is an insult to God. He does not want churches that are open. He wants churches that are saying, God, you've got to move in our town. God, how are we going to reach these people unless you come, unless you show your power? God, we will not let you go until you bless us. Not for our sake so that we can have a, oh, a few spiritual umbe-ebie-jeebies. No, for their sake, so that you can be glorified, so that they can know that there is a God in heaven, that no matter what kind of schemes they've cooked up in their mind as to how the universe got here and what the purpose of their life is when they encounter us they will know there is a God their boxes will be shaken their cages will be rattled they may not they not not believe what we believe but they will know there's something different about those people that's how we need to pray that's how we need to seek God not God we're open whatever you want to do no God unless you come we are sunk how are we going to reach them That's how it's got to start. Second thing is this, this sense of faith and expectation. This is what it says. When they couldn't get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and they made an opening, they let down the bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. The reality is this. There's a sense that when we partner with the Lord, we've got to come with this sense of faith and expectation. You know, uh, this is how it describes uh, faith. It says this, When we come to God, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. When we come to God, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, there are lots of Christians who believe that God exists, but they don't believe that he rewards those who seek him. (laughs) It's that second bit that I believe makes up true faith. It's the expectation that God is going to come, that God wants to move, that this is his idea, not ours. The, the reality is this this group of guys, as they brought their friend, created an atmosphere in which the miraculous could happen. And that's what our churches should look like. They should look like places where we create an atmosphere where God can just rock up where he can do the stuff that he wants to do because there is such a sense of expectation. Our expectation has got to be in these things. They knew that if they could just connect with the presence of Jesus, that something would happen. They, they knew they had to get through the crowd. They had to clear the stuff out of the way. And I think that's the reality for us as churches. We've got to think, God, what do we need to clear out of the way so we can just get your presence? And there 's some good things that maybe we need to clear out the way there's some there, i don 't know what it will be for you but but I do know that that, that all of us typically there 's stuff we just have to get out of the way so that we can connect with Jesus and see his presence and we 've got to have an expectation of that it 's this reality that we as communities can grow in faith and, and for so long I, I, I thought kind of like well, I was just kind of born with not very much faith, and that's just the reality of it. You know, there's lots of other Christians out there, they've got lots of faith. I've just not got very much, you know, I've got a kind of dodgy faith, no meter or whatever. You know, when I became a believer, I just got a little dose. <laughs> you know, other people got lows. Anyone else ever thought like that? <laughs> you, you, you know, someone else got the, you know, you got the kind of got the raw end of the stick as far as faith is concerned. But what I began to see is that actually the scripture talks about levels of faith, it talks about little faith. You know, Peter, when he sinks in the water, Jesus says to him, he's got little faith. So if you can't walk on water, you've got little faith, according to Jesus, which is a little bit frightening. But he talks about weak faith. It talks about strong faith. It talks about great faith. But notice this. The people that when Jesus calls out people and says they've got great faith, there's two people. One is the Roman centurion, i.e., not your usual suspect, and the other was a Syrophoenician woman, i.e., not your usual suspect. What's Jesus saying? He's saying you can find great faith anywhere. There, there is no kind of hierarchy of this. It's about what's in our hearts, and Jesus is looking for this faith in us, this expectation that He will come and he will move. And, and and I've seen as I've just been on my journey that the Lord will, will will reward faith where he sees it. He's looking for that that ability to say God, I don't get it. I don't understand the things that are going on around me, but what I do know is this, like Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. I, 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 you know, sometimes we're in mystery, aren't we? We're in confusion. We don't quite get it. But it's that spirit that says, I know that my Redeemer lives. You know, the, the the reality is that the second foundation is that we've got to build communities of faith and expectation and learn and believe that we can grow in faith. And, and you know, I, it was interesting that just a recent Sunday, the Lord challenged me again because uh, uh, Caroline and I were just chatting at the front and this lady came forward and asked for Prayer, and I said, "I'll pray over there." And um, she's she's kind of got special needs, and and I said to Karen, "Oh, she comes she comes every week for prayer." And afterwards, the Holy Spirit and it was I wasn't mocking her, but I was kind of I kind of what was this? It wasn't quite right. Can't quite describe what it was, but you know what I mean? It wasn't I wasn't mocking. I was a little bit kind of humouring her, I guess that was it. And the Holy Spirit said to me afterwards, he said, "So that's a bad thing, is it, that she comes forward every week?" I was like. I think I'm about to be rebuked. (laughs) So that's a bad thing, is it? He said, you should be honoring her for the fact that she comes down the front every week for prayer. You should be applauding the fact that she comes every week for prayer because she is demonstrating her faith. What's it like for us to grow in faith and to see that the Lord wants us to become communities in faith. And and you might say, well, well how, do, how do I grow in faith? One of the things that i found is to applaud what God does, no matter how small. No matter how small, to say, God, thank you for what you've done. You know, I, I, I used to realize that I, as I began to see um, more and more kind of God touching people and healing people, the more I saw, the less grateful I became, <laughs> So when I would first come back from the meeting, we saw a back healed. Caroline would say, what happened tonight? I was like, we saw this This lady had a bad back and she was healed. It was amazing. But within a few years, I would come home from a meeting and Caroline would say, well, what, what did you see tonight? I was like, oh, well, just a couple of backs. Anything for dinner? So easy that familiarity breeds contempt. Anyone else notice that? Familiarity breeds contempt. And it's something about, Lord, you know what? Even if we see a little finger slightly improved, who can do that <laughs> but God alone? We grow in faith by, why, by applauding what God does and thanking and keeping with this tender, grateful heart for all that he does. Not just for healing, but for any kind of kingdom breakthrough. I've got to move on. The third foundation is this, the removal of blocks. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, And Jesus regularly encounters this skepticism, this cynicism in the hearts of his disciples, in the hearts of the people around, and he's regularly challenging it and rebuking it. Why? Because the reality is this kind of stuff just blocks what God wants to do. He's looking for clear, pure channels who he can move through. And and a sense of skepticism and cynicism and mockery is just not going to get what we want to get. It's the antithesis, it's the opposite of faith that we're looking for. And it's for each of us to examine our hearts. I've had to examine my heart over and over again and say, God, get any of that stuff out of me. And my big fear was that I would be naive, you know, that if, I, if I just believed every story on the internet, it would be na- Well, I'm not saying believe every story on the internet, you know, but what I'm saying, we we don't credible edible witnesses around us say that they've encountered God. We believe them. We, we don't allow this skepticism, cynicism. You know when it's operating because when someone tells you that God's done something, your immediate thought is, oh yeah, like it's probably not as good as they think it is or it probably won't last. I mean, I remember that the Lord really rebuked me about this because um, I, I was in a, a meeting and it was a large meeting I'm not saying that just to make myself sound bigger because it doesn't as you'll see by the end of the story and there was about a thousand people there and we'd prayed for the sick and this guy came up and uh, for to testify at the end and he was handing holding this blue plastic thing now the backdrop of the story was i'd been saying god give us the meetings again where we see wheelchairs and crutches and things left at the front because people are so dramatically healed that's the backdrop months of praying that this guy comes forward he's holding this blue plastic thing he wants to share his testimony he gives me the blue plastic thing i don't even know what it is he says over the microphone that is my back brace I've had a chronic back injury. I've worn that back brace for 15 years. God just, Someone just prayed for me and I just got totally healed. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Is there anything you couldn't do before? He's like, well, I haven't touched my toes for years. I was like, can you do it now? He touches his toes in front of everyone. He's like pain-free. He's completely healed. As he gets to step down, I get to go to give him back the back brace. And have you ever tried to give something to someone and they won't take it? Have you ever had that thing? I'm giving it to him and he won't take it except this is not just me and him. This is a thousand people watching. I'm trying to give it to him. He won't take it. I'd kind of press it harder. He won't take it to the point that he has to say, what do I want that for? <laughs> and you know what? As I looked into his eyes, what I saw was complete trust in what God had done. And what I saw in my own heart was, What if it gets worse again? You know, so the Lord will confront us, won't he, with what's in our hearts. We've got to learn to flush this stuff out. The other big one that we had to go through the journey of, these guys were cynical and skeptical, but the other big one I found in the church is disappointment. So much disappointment over the issue of breakthrough and healing and signs and wonders in the church. And, and I've seen this in, in my, we've seen this in our own lives. And Caroline, my wife, you know, when we began to see God touching people and healing people, everyone she prayed for, nothing happened. And, and she began to seek the Lord saying, Lord, you know, this is not fair. I mean, there must be some benefits to being Simon's wife, you know. Well, surely I should, surely when I pray, you know, I'm Simon's wife, surely something, why has nothing happened? And the Lord immediately said, it's because of Julie. Now, Julie was a friend that Caroline had prayed for when Julie was 16 and Caroline was 17. Julie was in a car crash and she went into she got killed. She got, it was in a car crash and went into a coma. And Caroline and Julie's boyfriend at the time, or brother, I think it was, went to Julie and prayed for Julie to be healed. And, uh, and in fact, she didn't. She wasn't healed. She died. In fact, they then prayed for her to be raised from the dead and she wasn't. And the Lord said to her, you were offended with me over Julie and you've never moved on. And she realized that she had to repent of carrying that fence and had to bring it to the Lord and say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand why Julie died, but I'm not God and you are. You don't owe me an explanation. I'm going to pray for the sick because that's what you told us to do. I'm going to pray out of obedience because that's what you told us to do. And immediately she began to see miracles and healings around her. She hadn't thought about Julie for 16 years But she'd carried that offense, that disappointment in her heart. And you say, Well, Simon, aren't we going to get disappointed if we go for this? And this is the reality. This is what I believed. And what I said to our church I said, Look, here we are. We never pray for the sick. We never expect the impossible or the miraculous, and we're safe. We're safe from disappointment because we're not expecting anything. And here is eternity where there'll be no more pain and no more crying and no more suffering. Anyone looking forward to that day? <laughs> but there's this space in the middle where we seek to say, God, bring your king, let your kingdom come. And we have an expectation and we have a belief and we will be disappointed. There will be times when we won't see the breakthrough that we're expecting but there'll also be times when we will. There'll be times when we wonder why hasn't the kingdom yet come? And there'll be times when we see the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I said to the church, look, I I can't ever go back here. I'm kind of ruined, I've got to live here for the rest of my life no matter what it takes and that has been the reality, we've seen great heartache, we buried our worship leader who got, who got uh, cervical cancer, we buried one of our other long-standing members who got breast, we've seen great heartache but we've also seen incredible breakthrough. <laughs> And I believe that the people who are going to see their sounds impacted by the gospel of Christ are those who are willing to live in this space. That's what you see in the early church. Paul writes, he says, I left a sick. He doesn't explain it. A few months later, he's in Malta. It says he prayed for the whole island, all who were sick on the island, and he healed a lot. He doesn't explain that either. He lived in this kingdom reality, this tension. He'd somehow managed to flush disappointment and anything out of his heart and say, Lord, you told me to preach the gospel and heal the sick, and that's what I'm going to do. No matter what happens around me. He left his good friend sick, and yet he sees a whole island healed. He doesn't explain, Luke doesn't explain either thing. He just says, that's the reality. That's how the early church lived. Jesus saw everyone healed. If he were here tonight physically, you would Every one of us will be healed. I, I'm not him, Paul wasn't him, so we live in the imperfect. We press on, we say, God, bring your kingdom, let it come. That was our prayer that the Lord taught us to. One day we will see it, there'll be no more sickness on the planet, hallelujah. But we don't yet see it. But do we give up and say, well, you know, I prayed for you know, my aunt and she lived a good Christian life and I never saw her healed and she died. I'm done. Or do we say, I don't get that. I don't understand that, but God, you don't owe me anything. You told me to preach the gospel and heal the sick, and that's what I'm gonna do. We have to choose where we're gonna position ourselves, and flushing that out of our, our hearts, removing the, the blocks is absolutely critical. The fourth foundation is this, that we've gotta increase our use of the gifts of the Spirit. We've gotta start to expect. You guys all right, you, stay, you still with me? We've got to we've got to expect God's gifts not to be trapped in the church, but to be out on the streets. And we've got to take some risks. We've got to we've got to expect that. You look at this story with Jesus; he used the 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 gift of discernment in this set setting. He understands. He discerns what's going on in their hearts. He uses the gift of healing. and and, and the reality is, we have to. As communities just take the risk. And we have to create an environment where we learn to practice and to demonstrate the gifts. That's one of the things that we've learned. We have a a training course where we have learned to practice. And one of the things that we do is we create an atmosphere where we celebrate not success, but obedience. Because anyone know it's scary to go out on a limb, (laughs) it's scary to stretch yourself. And so we'll train people to, to go out on a limb and, and to, 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 to say, so you'd hear a story there one evening and someone will say, you know, I was in the baker's and I felt the Lord say to me that the baker had a bad back. And so I said to the baker, have you got a bad back? And he said, no, I haven't got a bad back. My back's as strong as an ox. You could stand a ton of bricks on my back and it wouldn't, wouldn't break. I'm so strong in my back, it's the strongest part of my entire body. And so I said, oh, okay, thank you. And I left. And all the students will be like, yeah, well done. And the guests will be like, why are we applauding a wrong word of knowledge? But we're not applauding a wrong word of knowledge. We're applauding courage. We're applauding someone who got up and had a go. And they got it wrong. And there was not only nothing wrong with his back, he had the strongest back in the entire county. But they got up and had a go. Because the reality is, This is the thing. You've got to learn to ride a bike as a kid. Why? Because when you're an adult, it's very difficult because we're afraid of falling off. I mean, even kids are afraid. I mean, when I taught my kids to ride their bikes, it was, you know, we sat in the car and this is what I said. I said, darling, in a moment... I didn't probably say, darling. Uh, uh, in a moment, you're about to get on your bike. Do you want to ride a bike? Yes, daddy. Yes, I want to ride a bike. Okay. In a moment, we're going to get out of the bike, and I want you to give me thirty minutes. We're going to have thirty minutes. Really? As long as thirty minutes? That'd be great. Yep, thirty minutes. And we're not getting back in the car until the end of thirty minutes. Really? Okay, great. Because what's going to happen is, in a moment, you're going to fall off your bike, and you're going to hurt yourself, and you're going to cry. But we're going to get straight back on that bike, and we're going to ride the bike again. Is that right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And no matter what you say, we're not getting back in on the in the car. We are getting on that bike, and we're riding it for 30 minutes okay no problem of course yes yes anyway we get out of the car within two minutes they're off the bike they're crying they're yeah, i want to go i don't want to ride my bike well all my kids ride their bike why because i create an environment i did it on the grass by the way please i'm not a terrible parent i created an environment where it was safe enough to learn and to practice but i made them keep getting back on and so many Christians, they try, they take a few fledgling steps and it doesn't get work and they get burned and they think, well, oh, I'm not doing that again. You don't learn anything that way. We've got to create an environment as communities where we can encourage people and say, come on, you can do this. You can have a go. You can get out there. Practice with the gifts of the Spirit, learning what, what the Lord how God speaks through you, how he speaks to you, how you can see people's secrets opened up, how you can create an environment where people will let you pray for them, learning how to do this and it worked different for different ones of you but it's practicing and sometimes you'll bomb and crash and burn and sometimes you'll be amazing and it will get great results and it's learning to get up and have another go and saying I want to live this out because my town my workplace needs me they need a valid they need a real faith uh it was one, one of our young ladies and she was desperately wanting to to, to reach out into her workplace and so um this guy in her office had a bad eye. In fact, his eye was so bad that he had to go home. And so she was like sweating and panicking, thinking, "I've got to pray for him. I've got to offer, but I'm just terrified. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm going to do it." So she literally kind of chased him out of the building as he was leaving. And uh, and he said, uh, and she said, "Just John, just before you go, just before you go, can I pray for you?" He said, "Can you play with me?" She said, "No, no, not going to play with you. No, this is horrible already. No, no, can I play with you? Can I pray for you?" He's like. Oh, yeah, all right then. And he just walked out. And she's like, oh, that was horrible. You thought I said play with him, and I meant pray with him. And oh, she she said, what did you said when she was telling the story, it's so funny. She said, When you're in a situation like that, what do you do? You phone your mum. <laughs> so she's in the stairwell. She phones her mum She said, Mum, it's this horrible thing with John. And her mum said, Calm down. Let's just pray for him now. So she, they pray for him. Anyway, she goes back to her desk, just kind of trying to bury herself all day. The next morning, John walks in. She's like, Oh, no, he's here again. And one of the other colleagues calls out to him, John, you're here. What happened to your eye? He's like, Well, it's been fine since Susie prayed for me. She's like, No way. <laughs> You know, we hear all the great stories and it all looks flash and polished, but more often than not, it looks like that. <laughs> through fear and trembling, through, through, through having a go and messing up and then getting back on and trying again. The fourth foundation is we've got to increase the gifts of the Spirit. And Jesus created a context where his disciples were learning all the time by watching and observing. We need to create the same environment. And then lastly, finishing with this, we've got to create a foundation where we operate in power, on authority so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to paralytic i say to you rise pick up your bed and go home jesus had this ability to operate in the authority that the father had given him he had understood who he was there was a real identity challenge from the the pharisees in this story they said who who is this who thinks he can forgive sins Notice that. So often the enemy, when we start to expect what God wants to do through us, he would challenge our identity. That's why what Rich said earlier about our identity as sons and daughters is so key. We've got to understand we are sons and daughters of the living God and our authority comes from that place. It comes out of that reality. Jesus walked in his authority and he taught the church to walk in the same way. And as we come under his authority and walk in his authority we receive his commission and he told us to go he told us to preach the gospel he told us to heal the sick he told us to set free the oppressed so it's not authority in the sense that we've got to summon something up we've got to try and feel important no no no. it's the authority of understanding what christ has told us to do i i I pray for the sick because christ told me to (laughs) And I do it under his authority, under obedience to him. There's sometimes I would rather not. There's sometimes I'd rather just keep to myself. But the Lord has commissioned us as communities to do this. And so we operate in that authority. And what you see in the story is the result is glory to God. We have never seen things like this before. Wouldn't it be amazing for your town to be able to say that? For this region to be able to say, we have never seen things like this before. Well, I believe we owe that to every city, every town in our nation and in every nation, that they would know where to come to see the raw power of God. And I believe that's what the Lord is wanting to to do in us and through us. And there will be pushback. There will be kickback. There will be opposition but I believe that God's got this for you to take fresh steps, and I believe as you seek Him, that no matter what comes, and it, and it will come, and we've had just such, you know, just just incredible moments of pushback and opposition and difficulty. I remember one time I was out in the streets and praying for. Uh, a young lady and she'd just seen me pray for a number of her friends who'd all been healed and so she had got some faith even though she wasn't a believer and she was wearing very thick glasses and she came and said uh, the doctors have said that I'll go blind Um, is there anything that Jesus can do for me and I said well let's pray I've never seen him heal eyesight like that before but let's pray And her boyfriend, who I was wearing glasses, I do wear glasses, he looked at me and he said, you wear glasses yourself, you fool. How can you do anything for her? It's like, it was not a conducive environment for faith. (laughs) There was no band playing quietly in the corner. (laughs) We're on Bedford High Street. There's this girl needing a miracle that I've never seen before and her boyfriend mocking me because I need a miracle myself. (laughs) It was not a conducive environment. But you know what? The Lord loves those kind of places. He loves it when we put ourselves out like that. And, and I prayed for her. She takes her glasses off and she's crying. She can read the number plates across the high street. It was just incredible. And as I, I walked back from that encounter, the Lord said to me, Simon, this was not about you. And this is not about Bedford. It's to show people that if I can use you and if I can do stuff in Bedford, I can do it anywhere. I was like, Lord, that doesn't sound very encouraging for me or Bedford. But anyway, I'll tell it as it is. <laughs> That's the reality, and that would be my story, what I want to share. If he can use us, we are not special in any way, then he can do the same stuff in you and through you. And I know you're seeing stuff already, and are going to see more and more. So I want to leave you with that commission. Expect God, lay these foundations in your community, and pray them in, and you're going to see incredible things as God moves amongst you. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment, shall we? Thank you. let's just take a, a moment to, to pray and I just, just as a response first if you that point I made if you realise you know what I've been open but I want to I wanna move from open I want to move to hungry I want to move to desperate then why don't you just want to take a moment to repent of that why don't you just stand to your feet and just say Lord I, just just stand with me and say God I, I don't want to be open anymore uh, my town needs more than open my town, needs, my town needs desperate. <laughs> my town needs earnestly desire the greater gifts. Thank you. Yeah, Father, we, we just just put your hand on your heart. <laughs> Father, we just stand, and, I, and I'm standing as well because I'm, I'm not desperate enough. I, I, we stand together as a, as a corporate repentance and say, Father, forgive us for just being open. Forgive us, Lord, for just, yes, and yeah, we'll do it, whatever you want to do. God, we we recognize tonight together that you don't want open, you want desperate. (laughs) You want a people who cry out and keep crying out until you move. Keep crying out until you come. Keep crying out until you fill us with power again. We're just seeing a shadow of what you've seen. Even in, even in the, this nation, you've seen and done so much more than we're seeing. And we say, God, do it again. Do it here. Do it in our hearts. Do it in our community. Why, Lord, why not us? Why not today? Why not in our, our generation? God, they need it more than ever. They're more lost than ever. They're more desperate than ever. God, we want to be your hands and your feet, bringing the love and the power of Christ to a desperate and lost nation. Come, Holy Spirit. As as you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and wash us from all unrighteousness. And we just say, come, Holy Spirit, come, fill us now in Jesus' name. Come be filled afresh. Come receive his power. Why don't you just lift your voice for a moment. Let's just pray for this, shall we? Let's just cry out that God would move in power. That God would come in your life. That he would touch your workplace. Don't be passive now. Raise your voice. Lift your expectation. Whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Just seek him for a minute. Seek him. Just seek him. Come, Spirit of God. Just just push in for a minute longer. Let's pray. Let's cry out as if our lives depended on it. They do. The lives of the lives of people in our town depend on it. Depend on him moving. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We are desperate for you, God. We say, Lord, move afresh in your power. We don't want to be passengers in the next move of God. We want to be right in the thick of it. We want, to, we want you to use our hands and our words. Come, Lord, fill our hands with power. You said, as we lay hands on the sick, we'll see them recover. Come, Spirit of God. Come, anoint us, your church, afresh. Come, fill our words with words of knowledge that will reveal the secrets of hearts. Come, release your authority in fresh measure to set the oppressed free. Come, Lord God. We are desperate. We are desperate. We just say, electrify us now with fresh power. From on high, come electrify us, your people. We say, Do the things that you've done before, do them in our day. We've heard of your fame. Do them in our day, in our time. Our town needs it, God. Our neighbours, think of your atheistic neighbours and friends and work colleagues and cry out that God will move in power to shake them out of their apathy. They've been indoctrinated and blinded. Pray now that your region would not just have a gospel of words but have a gospel of power. That it will be saturated with signs and wonders. Come, Spirit of God. We cry out to you. We are desperate. We are not just open, God. We say, come, equip us and fill us. And don't just pray for your neighbour. Pray for you. The scriptures say, earnestly desire the greater gifts. We're too polite as Christians. You can pray for your neighbour later. Pray for yourself. Say, God, I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to see them recover. I want to prophesy the secrets of people's hearts. I want to have the gift of discernment to know why they're bound up. I want to do it, God. I don't just want to witness someone else doing it. I mean, that's good as well. But God, use me. Here am I, God. That's what Isaiah cried out, wasn't it? Here am I, send me. Send me, O God. Send me, O God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.